I'd love to ask you, have you ever asked yourself on a Sunday, why am I here? Anyone ever thought that before? Maybe, maybe not. Um, But I would love you to just think about that question as we read this passage today. Actually, why am I here? Like, why do I come to church on a Sunday? Why why am I part of a hug group? Um, Because that is what this passage directly speaks into. So I'm going to read Ephesians chapter 4. It's long, but it's worth uh, listening to. And so let us read it together. Feel free to um, turn to your phone or your Bible, or it is going to come up on the screen. Um, But here we go. So... As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each of us, grace has been given as Christ has apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to equip his people for the works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining the whole measure of the fullness of Christ." Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head of the church, that is Christ. From him the whole body joined joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So just by way of introduction, we are at the beginning of chapter four, as I said, and what we have here is a gear shift. So over the last few weeks, if you've been around, you'll know that we've basically been looking at the beautiful truths of the gospel. We've been thinking about the fact that we are loved, that we are alive in Christ, seated in heavenly places, that the dividing wall of hostility has been torn down. And in this chapter, Paul is making a gear shift to talk about the practicalities of what that means. What does it mean for us to live in the light of all that we have heard? And so that's what we're going to be looking at over the next few weeks. And some translations actually begin this chapter with a therefore. So it's really clear that Paul's saying, in light of everything that's been said, therefore live in this way. So he says, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. And so right off the bat, we have a little bit of a caution to us that actually it's possible maybe for us to know all that we've known over the last few weeks and not live into the reality of it. And I don't know if you've ever heard the story, I think it's mythological, I'm not really sure if it's true, of Alexander the Great. 
um, who was obviously a great military leader. And the story goes that one day, Alexander the Great was um, asleep. Well, no, he wasn't asleep. He couldn't sleep. Um, but he was on a campaign, and so he stepped out to basically try and get himself to sleep. And he saw a soldier who was sleeping on the job, which was um, a very, not very good thing to do. And so he comes across this man, and he says, he wakes him up, and he says, what is your name? Um, and this guy says, my name is Alexander. To which he replies, Alexander the Great replies, soldier, either change your conduct or you change your name. And so what he was saying to him was, you and me are not going to share the same name. I'm not going to share the name with a coward. Either you change your name or you shape up. And there's something of that, um, maybe with a little bit of a lighter tone in this chapter. What Paul is saying is that actually it's important for us to live in the reality of what we've been called to. Because actually, if you're a believer in Jesus, if you're a follower of Jesus, it's like the Lord Jesus puts his name on you. And that doesn't primarily mean um, that you're just like become an upstanding member of society or that you're someone who maybe likes the teaching of the Bible or that you have a good moral compass or you do the right thing or that even that you attend church on a Sunday. Because being a Christian actually means so much more than that. And what Jesus has done for us, what we've been looking at over the last few chapters is way more sensational than that. When we become a Christian, Jesus puts his name on us, and that means that we are given new life, and that we are actually being transformed by the power of the Spirit into the likeness of Jesus. Tim Keller once said on this topic that being a Christian doesn't mean being nice, it means being made new. And so if you bear the name of the Christian, you are beginning this journey of being trained, transformed, and evolved into the likeness of Jesus. And this is where we come to like the crucial point of Paul's argument in chapter 4, which I am going to summarize like this. So it is that it is God's desire for us that we become mature. But we will not become mature if we are not in unity with the body of Christ. And we cannot have unity without a very large dose of humility. And so the essential headline for us in this chapter, that actually this group of people, this room, this body of Christ that is represented here, is actually a gift for us in our journey to the destination of transformation, of growing into maturity. So why don't we just take a little moment to look around the room? Yeah? These are your gift. This is God's gift to you in your journey of transformation. So that's what this passage says. And so it is a very big and beautiful claim. And I just want to name, before we get into um, the nitty-gritty of the passage, um, that for some of us, to a greater or lesser extent, what we're going to read about today, there might be a gap between what we read about and our experience of the church. Um, because we know really sadly that the church, big C and little c, has a well-documented history of uh, not always being a vehicle of transformation in people's lives. And worse than that, um, can be a vehicle for hurt in people's lives. And I just want to say straight off the bat that if that is you, if that's the case for you, I've been praying so hard for you this week, um, that you would actually know the healing of God in this moment today, and maybe where that's a journey, that that is something that you would begin today. But what we're going to read about today is God's design for us. It is God's best for us. And there is a strange paradox to our lives, to our faith, that so often we can get hurt in community. But because our God is community, we also get healed 
in community. And um, one of my friends, I was talking to her this week on this topic, and she said something that really stuck with me, that there is no such thing as the perfect church, but there is such a thing as a good and a holy church. And I guess I want to start off um, by just testifying to that a, a little bit um, of my experience here at KXC. And it actually starts with a little bit of a confession. Um, so I actually first came to KXC nine years ago when I was a young 24 years old. And um, my friend Libby Forrest brought me along. And I came to a service, um, and it was the then, I think, 6 p.m. service. Um, and I came along, and I thought it was lovely. Um, but afterwards, um, I said to Libby, in the dramatic way that I tend to do, um, I'm never coming back to KXC. <laughs> and um, the reason was that, for that is that I felt like um, the, the, this church was very young. And I kind of felt like, I'm not going to learn anything um, from a church like that. Um, and so um, I kind of did my own thing for a little while, but I did come back. Um, and here I am, hilariously, nine years later, absolutely swallowing my words on staff at KXC. And obviously, I did come back. Um, but I want, what I want to testify to is the reality that um, we can be transformed and changed in community. That has been my story here. And I never could have anticipated when I first came at 24 the ways uh, that God would transform, heal, and grow me as a part of this community. But such is the power of Jesus. Such is the reality of his transforming work that he can use an imperfect vehicle like the church to do that. Um, so that's what this passage is saying. That's what we're going to give into. I'm just going to take a little drink of water, and then we're going to carry on. So just give me a second. So the starting point as we break down Paul's argument is uh, verse 14, which says this, Then you will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves, and blown here and there by every wave of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, you will grow to, you will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. And so what we see here is the reality that all of us, when we begin the journey of faith, actually all start off as spiritually immature. Um, and that is just the reality. We are spiritual infants when we first come to faith. And this isn't something that is condemnation. Just like you wouldn't condemn a baby for being a baby, there's no condemnation in the reality of being spiritually immature. But the truth is, is that just as with a baby, if over time a baby doesn't start to be able to be able to roll and lift its head, you would identify that that is a problem. And the same is actually true for us, that over time, if we're not being transformed into the likeness of Jesus, there is a, pro there is a problem because we are designed in the body of Christ to, be, to grow and to be matured. And so what does, what does maturity look like? We see that also in this passage. So we see in verses 13 and 15, Paul talking about growing into the whole measure of the fullness of Christ and in every way being the mature body of him that is the head, that is Christ. And so we see here that maturity is defined in a positive way, as in Jesus is the benchmark for what maturity looks like. 
And so if we dig into scriptures, we can see lots of examples of actually what that means for us. So, for example, in Galatians, we read about the fruit of the Spirit. We read about love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control, and gentleness. And that isn't an exhaustive list, but that is somewhat of, of a, a pointer to us of what spiritual maturity looks like. That is the fruit of the Spirit of Jesus. And so when we see those things in our lives, we can see that maturity is happening. But also we have the Gospels. We see the person of Jesus. We see that Jesus is compassionate and courageous, that he's free from being dictated to by the expectations of others. He's super connected to his father, and, and that leads how he works. He says, I only, see what I, do, I only do what I see the father doing. And so we have this positive example of what maturity is. But also in this letter, Paul defines what spiritual maturity isn't. So again, going back to verse 14, we hear this thing of being tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there by every wind of teaching. And so what this highlights to us is actually there is something of discernment, something of steadfastness that emerges as we grow in maturity. That a spiritually mature person is someone who actually isn't going to be blown about by deception, who actually is able to discern what to believe from the teaching that they hear. And again, we see that we see that in the reality of biological children. Children don't have the tools to be discerning. That's why you need to tell them exactly what they need to do. And I, I, was, um, I saw this very clearly not too long ago when I was with my niece and nephew, who are six years old. Um, and we were having lunch together, and I was eating my wrap, and I had crisp at the same time, and I was sort of eating both at the same time. You know, you know how we do. And, um, and my niece and nephew were absolutely horrified and offended at my behavior. And one of them said to me, um, Lois, what are you doing? Um, you can't eat your crisps and your wrap at the same time. And I was like, what are you talking about? Of course I can. Um, and then they explained to me that they have this very heavily regimented regime at school where they're told you must eat your savory first and then your crisp and then your fruit and then your sweet thing. Um, and I had to break it down to them and I said, guys, I've got to tell you, when you're older, you can eat your food in any order you want. Um, to which their minds were absolutely blown. Um, but that is, there's something of that immaturity, isn't there? Something of discernment, being able to have the tools to work out what God is saying to you and discern what the right path is for you. And because whether we really realize it or not, we are actually being taught and preached at um, all the days of our lives. We're being told the things that are going to make us happy, the things that are going to make us feel secure, the things that are going to bring us success. And sometimes those sources feel really obvious. So obviously right now I'm preaching at you so you can do some discerning of the teaching. But some of those sources are more subtle than that. Sometimes it comes from our parents and our peers and our social media and the shops that we shop in. But all of those things, all of those sources are telling us, giving us a message of what is right for us to do. And so it is God's desire for us, what we read in this passage is it is God's desire for us that we become so mature that we we can hear that teaching from those places and we can discern what's going to be damaging for us. We can discern what the right thing is to do. We can discern God's voice and God's purposes so that we're not tossed back and forth as we hear described in this passage by falsehood that actually might be masquerading as truth. That is God's desire for us as we grow in maturity. So that's maturity. This, the next thing that I wanted to look at was the whole thing of unity. So this element of Paul's argument that actually we need unity in order to reach maturity. 
And so what we see in this passage is that we will not become mature unless we are united with a body of believers. In other words, our unity is a vehicle for God working out maturity in our lives. And so we see early on in the text in verse 3, where Paul makes this plea to, to the Ephesians to keep the unity of the Spirit. But also towards the back end of the text, we read about unity being the thing that then no longer we will be, no longer will we be infants. And I was thinking about this and thinking about a story that I told, well, I was told recently of a very tangible example of where unity uh, led to reaching a goal. Um, and it is, it's a football example, so bear with me. But um, uh, I don't know if any of you remember or were around for Euro 1996. Um, and so there was a very famous match that was played between the Dutch team and the uh, English men's team. And um, both teams went into that tournament with a certain level of drama. Um, and so the Dutch team on paper was like technically brilliant, one of the best teams in the world. But it was a team that behind closed doors was very divided. And there were kind of different theories as to why. Some said that it was around racial lines, they were divided along lines of race, or actually it was around pay, and that different members of the team at a club level were actually getting paid different amounts. But regardless, the reality was that they were a team that was actually divided. Whereas the English team, um, all that was talked about about the, the dynamic of that team was their togetherness. Um, and they had to actually come under a lot of uh, fire um, from them, some very bad behavior that they were displaying as the tournament went on. And um, that kind of culminated with a situation when they were on an airplane and they caused 5,000 pounds worth of damage on the plane. And um, what they decided to do was not kind of throw anyone under the bus, but to take collective responsibility because they saw themselves on the, as a team. And then so when these two teams met in their match together, what was going on behind closed doors was translated onto the pitch and the English team actually thrashed the Dutch team 4-1 come on 4-1 <laughs> and they beat this team that was technically uh, technically better on paper because of unity and so there's something of that in this passage that what Paul is saying is that unity is absolutely essential to reaching this goal that God has called you to and so what do we learn about unity from this passage? Well, we see in verses four to six, this list of things that unite us. One body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. And so what we can learn here is that in order for us to be in unity with the body of Christ, that requires us to actually acknowledge that there are some fundamental things that unite all of us as believers. And these are more important than the things that might divide us. And what we see is actually that we, unity isn't the same as uniformity. We know that we are all not the same. We can see that in a room like this. What this passage doesn't say is that we all have one background, one experience of the world, one educational background, one set of interests. We all laugh at the same jokes. And obviously, those are kind of like lighthearted examples. And what we know about the church in Ephesians is actually there were real deep-seated um, divisions between those people. Emma Heddle, a few weeks ago, looked um, at the reality of the dividing wall of hostility that was brought down between the Jew and the Gentile. And those, that dividing line was something that was long established over time. But what Paul was saying to them in this chapter is that that divide, not even that, is massive enough to separate you from what the Lord has done to unite you and the things that draw you together are being one hope, one faith, one spirit, one Lord, one baptism. 
And the same is true for us today. And the marker of this type of community, what we see in this chapter, is that what Paul doesn't say is that a community that is united is one that's always going to make you feel comfortable or always one that's going to always flatter you. What he says is that it's a community that speaks the truth in love, which is just the absolute sweet spot for growth and maturity. Because where there is love and truth, growth can happen. Because where there's love and no truth, we won't, we won't be more mature, we won't be transformed. But where there's truth but no love, that's always going to feel like critique. But truth and love is holding together what we see in Jesus. We read in the scriptures that it says that he is full of grace and truth. And so we need to ask, us question, ask ourselves the question, that are we building the relationships necessary that we are able to speak the truth in love to others, but also to receive that from others? Because that is the road to maturity. And then finally, coming to the final element of Paul's argument, which is humility. So again, we see in verse 2 this really strong statement, be completely humble and gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love. And what I love about this verse is it's a real talk verse. I love these in the Bible because it reminds us that actually it's never going to be an easy road for us to be united. We don't live in Disneyland. We live in the real world. And so we need humility. We need to be humble. We need to be patient with each other. We need to love one another because actually this unity thing isn't going to be easy. But we can get there if we can be humble enough to bear with one another. And so the first thing that I wanted to say about humility is that humility we see helps us to see ourselves correctly. Just going back to that list of ones, one, one God, one, one faith, one spirit, one baptism, it's this reminder that actually all of us came to this place because of the grace of God. We've actually all come on the same boat. And, and more than that, any maturity that actually we see in our own lives is a result of the kindness and grace of God which means there's actually no hierarchy in a room like this. And that, that means inevitably when we come across people who we deem to be less mature than us or actually more mature than us, we can have a reality check that actually it's the same door. It's one faith, one baptism, one spirit, one God who's at work within us. And that actually the, the journey of growth is, absolutely, is for absolutely every single one of us. And that there is no one who is, who is reaching that, that, that um, standard of um, of maturity completely other than Jesus. We're all getting there slowly but surely. But secondly, the thing about humility is that it reminds us that everyone around us in this body is a potential gift to us. Whether we've been a Christian for a short time or a long time, people, the body of Christ can be a gift to you, which is what I missed when I first came to KXE. I didn't see the potential for growth here, but that is completely false, and I needed to have more humility at that time, and I've been taught that. But the reality is that anyone in the body of Christ can be a gift to you. Why? Because we read it in verse 7. It says, each one of us, grace has been given as apportions by Christ. And that means the grace of God is at work 
in every single person that is a believer of Jesus. So if we can be humble enough to receive the gift of another person, we can grow in maturity and learn from the other people around us. Even when we find them irritating or annoying, there can be a journey of growth for us. And looking at the specific gifts that Paul highlights um, in the passage, we can see that there, even in that, there can be moments of conflict. And the test for the body is whether we will, we will um, prevent ourselves from being intimidated and irritated from the gifts of those around us. So just to draw an example from that list in verse 11, the evangelist cannot afford to be irritated by the pastor because the evangelist's uh, leaning is more towards uh, reaching the many and the pastor's heart is for the one. But actually, if those two groups of people come together, they can learn together and the church grows together. And we need to have the maturity and the humility to do that. And it's humility that enables us to see that the other person has the ability to teach us and to refrain from actually being intimidated, embarrassed, or, or to, to, to find uh, another person to be, to be something that is actually going to highlight weakness in you, but actually someone else can be a, a, a vehicle for growth in you. And what we see that Jesus has done that intentionally. He's given distinctive gifts intentionally for our growth and for our maturity. And I just wanted to land by giving a very practical example of this. Um, so if you're in the room and you're like, how can I get kind of going with this? Um, so if you're a part of KXC, you may have heard of a tool called Pattern. And this is a really useful tool um, for you if you're thinking about how you can genuinely begin the journey of fostering deep um, and unified relationships in a very practical way for the um, goal of spiritual maturity. Because what you're doing when you're stepping into a pattern group is very practically saying, I can't actually do this journey of spiritual maturity myself. I, I'm going to need you to help me in that. And I was actually thinking about my first pattern group um, as I was writing this talk. And I actually did get quite emotional when I was thinking about all the things that we went through together, all the things we just kind of walked through of life together, of like breakups and work change and discerning calling and family change. And um, all with the goal of, of thinking about what it looked for, like for each of us to become more like Jesus. And I was thinking about this time when, um, for me personally, I was going through this um, tricky moment when my dad um, got remarried, which was obviously like a beautiful moment for my family. But for me personally... I was left with lots of conflicting emotions around it, particularly um, in regard to my mother's death. And I was at this place where I was like, I actually don't know what maturity looks like for me in this. I don't know what it looks like to become more like Jesus because I just feel so confused. And I remember one of my um, buddies in my pattern group um, identified that and saw that I was struggling and she basically hooked me up with her mum, who was a coach at the time. Um, and she just walked with me through that time, really practical things of like working through my emotions um, and, and enable me to just see a way forward in that time. And I was thinking about how she was literally God's gift to me in that moment. And that group was literally God's gift to me in that time. And, and, and that, is the that can be the reality for each and every one of us in this room. The people around us can be gifts to us in our journey of maturity. Because what we see in this passage is Jesus' desire that all of us move forward. And he is going to do that in, his, in the power of his spirit. But the vehicle he's chosen to do that in 
is the church. And so if you're feeling like you're stuck, if you're feeling like, actually, I don't know what transformation looks like, just like I, I did in that scenario, and you feel like, actually, the likeness of Jesus isn't kind of happening in your life, you are in the right place. You are in the church. Um, and it is, it's all that we need to do is just step forward, further forward into what Jesus is calling us to do. Step further forward into building genuine relationships in which we can speak the truth into love, in love to each other.